0: And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Heavenly Father, God, as we uh, dive into your word this morning, I pray that we are changed. God, that we are never the same again. Lord, I pray your word would do exactly what you promised, Lord, that it will go out and not return again void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the word covenant is a word that we don't use as often anymore. Uh, we, we tend to probably use the word Promise. More, But the truth is, is the word promise even has kind of lost its meaning because we promise to do all kinds of things that we don't end up doing. The word covenant is much stronger even than that. Now, maybe you've heard of this guy, but there was a, and still is uh, widely read, a theologian. His name is B.B. Warfield. Now, B.B. Warfield was uh, very well known in his day and even now, and in, uh, but what you probably don't know about him, if you've heard of him, is uh, the beautiful story of his relationship with his wife, Annie. Now, B.B. Uh, Warfield was finishing his doctoral studies in Leipzig, Germany, and in 1876 and 1877 was when he was doing that, and during that time, he actually got married. He married Annie. And so they kind of used those last few months or so that they were in Germany as their honeymoon. And so uh, they were on a a day when he didn't have any schoolwork or anything like that. So they went on a walking tour uh, uh, with some other people in the Harz mountain range in Germany. And as they were there, they were on the very top of a mountain. They had made it to the peak of one of the mountains. And all of the sudden came a massive thunder and lightning storm. Extremely dangerous uh, to be in when you're on the top of a mountain. They couldn't get away from it. And so they were stuck there for quite some time with the lightning striking all around them, the thunder deafening. And after it was over, Annie was actually never the same again. Uh, It did something to her and to the point that she essentially became an invalid for the rest of her life on their honeymoon. And... B.B. Warfield became very well known, very famous as a theologian and uh, he began uh, back when it was, uh, was uh, good, he was one of the major professors at Princeton Theological Seminary and, and while he was there, he was married to Annie for 39 years and in the 39 years that they were married, he was never away from her side for longer than two hours and when he was away teaching a class, someone would come and sit with her. And he did that for 39 years. His entire life was on the Princeton campus. He never left her side the entire time. And the reason for that is, while others looked at that and thought that was crazy, he could have totally had someone else take care of her. He didn't have to be like that. The truth is, is he believed that what he had done was make a covenant with Annie. And it wasn't because she could fulfill her part of the bargain, he would fulfill his part of the bargain and everything would be fine. His covenant that was made with her was made out of his overwhelming love for his wife. And because of that, he remained true to her and faithful to her for almost four decades until she passed. This morning we're going to see David, King David. It's probably one of the greatest scenes or one of the greatest scenes in his life Uh, is when he first becomes, or right after he became king, set up in Jerusalem uh, as king of all Israel um, in his day. And so David made a covenant with Jonathan. If you remember, Jonathan was King Saul's son. And David and Jonathan had such a dear friendship. They were basically like brothers. They loved one another so deeply. And David made a covenant with Jonathan that he would not cut off Jonathan's line. You see, everyone knew that David had been anointed king from the time he was a kid, but Saul was still king. And Jonathan was most likely at least one of the heirs to the throne, and yet Jonathan understood that God had placed David over the throne. And so Jonathan asked David, Please, when you become king, don't wipe out my line. And if I'm still alive, don't wipe me out either. And so he he made this covenant with David, and it was out of his love, that he shows this to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in a way that can only be described as covenant love. It had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. He brought nothing to the table. He couldn't even get to the table. But David showed him love because of the covenant he had with Jonathan. And from David's example, we should ask ourselves this question this morning. Am I overwhelmed by God's powerful grace? Am I overwhelmed by God's powerful grace? Now, maybe today you've never experienced the love of God. You've never experienced this overwhelming and, and almost inexplicable love that it makes no sense because you know who you are and yet you've never understood it, you've never felt it. But maybe you're a believer and you've just, you've just forgotten The things of this life, they they tend to, to come in, they crowd out our thoughts of God and our thoughts of who He is and what He has done for us. And this morning, as we take just a few minutes to look at this text and see God and think about God's amazing act toward us, if we're going to be overwhelmed by God's amazing love, then first we should see the foundation of God's powerful grace. We need to see the foundation of God's powerful grace. Look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your Servant. So he is keeping this. David is remembering and he says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now you'll see there on the screen, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 and 17. This is where uh, David and Jonathan make this covenant. And Jonathan pleads with David, Don't wipe my family out. And if I'm still alive, don't wipe me out. And so Jonathan's saying, I understand what God has done and I am okay. With the fact that God has made you king. Just don't wipe out my line. Now this covenant pretty amazing. What we're about to see here. The fact that David said is there anyone left of the house of Saul. The reason this is amazing is because. What you're going to find when we meet Mephibosheth in a minute. What happened to Mephibosheth happened when he was five years old. At this moment he is somewhere around 20 or 21 years old. It's been roughly 15 or 16 years since this occurred. Now, since his, his uh, injury occurred, as we'll see in a minute. So 15 or 16 years, and yet David is still holding on to this. And not only is it amazing that that's the case, but also he made this covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan is dead. Saul is dead. Everyone is dead except Mephibosheth, and they're all gone, and David could have very easily just conveniently forgotten the covenant that he made with Jonathan, and just went about doing what was normal. You say, what do you mean what was normal? Well, if you, if you know this in history, whenever a king would come in, if his, if his kingship, if his rulership was even a little bit contested, the easiest thing for him to do was to make his generals rise up and wipe out anyone and everyone who might have a claim to the throne. It would just kill them all. Then no one could say, well, I'm rightfully king." In fact, if you look in there, you'll find that Mephibosheth's uh, uncle, Ishbosheth, he actually rose, uh, made a rebellion rise up against David uh, because he wanted to do it. He said, I'm the rightful heir. So they were all wiped out. And it was common practice. Everyone understood. Everyone knew exactly what was going on. The king could have just gone in and wiped out everyone who could lay claim to the throne, and no one would have questioned him. And yet, what is David's question? David's question is, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? It's interesting. Uh, th- this translation says kindness. It, it's, it's correct in that sense. But it's the word, and it's a fun word in Hebrew to say. The reason it's a fun word in Hebrew to say is because, and I'm gonna, the, the soundboard's about to hate me. But, but the, the, when you say this word, you'll see it. It's pronounced hesed, and you'll hear people say hesed. But it's not an H. It's a chet. So it's hesed. It's just a fun word to say. And this word, it means covenant love. It sometimes is the word translated loving kindness. And sometimes you may even see it translated grace. That's what it means. It means an unmerited favor or love that you show to someone else. And that's what David says here. Is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show this kind of love toward for Jonathan's sake? Now, there there have been many things that have happened. David made this covenant with Jonathan. And then um, Jonathan and his, his father and his other brothers, they went to battle and they were all killed. Um, it, there are many things. Then, then David... David is having a difficult time uh, actually consolidating the nation of Israel. He's got rebellions rising up. He actually reigned over king, as king over an area called Hebron, not even over uh, Israel for seven years before he was set up as the actual king. So all these things are happening. And David is uh, going through and, and taking care of military conquests and everything else. And when he finally gets everything set up, the first thing he says is, I want to keep my covenant. I want to keep my promise that I made to Jonathan. See, now what this church, or what this world needs from the church are gospel messengers who extend the loving hand of witness, who understand the covenant love of God. See, in Genesis chapter 3, God did this for us. God made a covenant. In Genesis 3, if you remember, um, after the fall, uh, God comes and he, he curses or he speaks to uh, to Adam he speaks to Eve and he speaks to the serpent and when he curses the serpent in Genesis 3 he tells the serpent um, that you will you will crush or he will crush your head and he will bruise your goodness gracious I'm getting it all backwards you will crush his head no he will crush your head you will bruise I'm sorry Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall crush your head. That's why it's wrong. It's written wrong in my notes. Um, That's the issue. So, it's not that I'm losing my mind. Possibly. So, God made a covenant. From the very beginning in Genesis 3, he says, although this is the lowest point in human history at this moment, Because mankind is being kicked out of the garden. They are being cursed because of their sin. And yet even in that moment, God promises to send a deliverer who would overcome the enemy. Right. So from the very beginning, God makes a covenant. He made a covenant with man because of his grace, because of his mercy, and because of his love. Now throughout the centuries and down through time, God's plan has never changed. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill this covenant. Now, hear this this morning. No matter what you have done, no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how low you have taken yourself, no sin is too great that it does not shrink in the shadow of the cross. No sin is too overwhelming that God's grace cannot cover still. And that is solely and completely because God's covenant is based on his love and not on what you and I bring to the table. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the basis of our grace. This is the basis of the grace we have been shown, is that God simply loves he shows mercy and grace because of who he is and what he has done through his son Jesus Christ so this is the foundation of that grace you say okay I thought we were talking about Mephibosheth well we are talking about Mephibosheth but if you remember this David set up the throne in Israel and then what was God's promise to David God's promise was that there would come a king of his lineage, of his line, who would set up on his throne forever. He is one who would reign forever. He would be the perfect king. He is, uh, the way that the Hebrew writer would probably say it is, he is one who is even greater than David. And that is Jesus Christ. If we look at the story of Mephibosheth this morning, we'll see that, yes, this is God's way of showing how David set up the kingdom of Israel and honored the covenant and all those other things. But it is also a shadow in the Old Testament of what Jesus has done for us. And what, if you're not a believer this morning, what Jesus can do for you. And so we understand, we need to understand this foundation of God's grace, but we should also be moved by the nature of God's grace. This is where the story gets really interesting. It says in verse 3, And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? So he repeats himself. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is crippled in his feet. Now, this is interesting. Ziba does not refer to him by his name. Obviously, he knows his name. He just doesn't refer to him by his name. He doesn't say, yes, there is a son of Jonathan, his name is Mephibosheth. No doubt David would have actually known who that was. He he doesn't say that. He just says, yes, Jonathan had a son, he's a cripple. That's all he said. He, has a, he doesn't have any uh, worth, any value at all to the point that this servant doesn't even call him by his name. Why is he crippled? Well, in 2 Samuel 4, 4, we find out. Again, like I said, what's the norm? The norm is for a king to wipe out the family. Well, whenever Saul and Jonathan and all of his sons, or most of his sons were killed in this battle, uh, uh, Mephibosheth's nurse Uh, His nursemaid, she picked him up, he was five years old, she picked him up and they ran out of the palace to hide because she didn't want her charge to be killed uh, in a rebellion or anything else like that. And as they were running down the steps, he fell and was crippled in both of his feet. Now, there was no modern mes- medicine as possible. He just he broke them, whatever else. But the truth is, they didn't heal back right. And so from that point on, he's been crippled in both of his feet. They want to be very clear. He was completely and utterly crippled. So in that day, they didn't have wheelchairs or anything like that. So what is, what is Mephibosheth required to do? He's either required to have crutches where he drags himself around or he's dependent on other people to carry him. So he is completely and utterly crippled. and And that's what... Ziba says, yes, there, there's one. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. So Lodabar means no pasture or no rest. It, it's referring to a place out in the middle of nowhere, like a desolate, isolated place. Why? Get the picture here. Mephibosheth is the son of a prince. Mephibosheth is royalty in Israel, and yet he is now living his life, crippled in both of his feet, dependent on other people. You say, how do you know he's dependent on other people? Because he's living in someone else's house. He doesn't even have his own house. He's living with someone else. And then it says he's in Lodabar, which means he's living in someone else's house in the middle of nowhere. So what is Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth is a broken man who lives on the backside of nowhere who is nobody living with somebody else. That's who he is. He is at the lowest point that you could possibly be, and he's in a place without rest. He has no peace. Why? Because, in a sense, if he's going to be wiped out, as was the, the normal practice of the day, he is essentially a fugitive of the state as well. You notice, Ziba knew where he was, the servant of Saul. He knew exactly where he was. Uh, Makir, uh, the son of Amiel, he knew exactly where he was, but nobody told David. Nobody told David that he was alive. Until David asked, and when he asked, he said, "Yes, this is where he is." Now look at what it says in verse five. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, at Lo Debar. This is interesting. David went and sent for him, but the the Hebrew is a little stronger than that. The Hebrew says that he sent and had him brought; that that he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice in the matter. He's coming and had him brought. Now, think about what's going through Mephibosheth's mind. Yes, David asked about showing him kindness. But think about what's going through Mephibosheth's mind. One, you don't say no when the king summons you. So the king is summoning him. But what is going through Mephibosheth's mind? Well, most likely Mephibosheth is thinking, oh no. I'm headed to a death sentence. I'm being marched out here so that I could be wiped out because I could have a claim to the throne. So, what does he do in verse 5? He sends for him in verse 6 and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage and said to David, and, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. See, Again, Mephibosheth is a prince, and yet the only thing he inherited from his family is brokenness and shame. It's the only thing he's inherited. So what does he do when he comes to David? He falls down on his face before him, and he says, are you Mephibosheth? Now at this moment, think about what's going on at this moment. The king is there. He's standing there. Mephibosheth comes, he falls down on his face before him. Now not only is he showing homage and he is being humble, but also he is completely exposed to David. If David wanted to have him killed, it would be the easiest thing in the world right then. He's laying on his face in front of David. He's crippled in both of his feet. He has nothing and he's from nowhere. And yet, what happens? What happens? It says... And David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. Do not fear. So why did he say that? Because he had legitimate reason to be afraid. He had a legitimate reason to be afraid in his brokenness, in his shame, being from another line that might have claim to the throne. He had every legitimate reason to be afraid. And yet the king looked at him and said, Do not be afraid afraid see he came humbly he came broken and what does the king do see Mephibosheth brings nothing to the table Mephibosheth couldn't even bring himself to the table and Mephibosheth could not reach up to the king so what did the king do the king reached out to him The king sent for him. The king had him brought. The king spoke to him. And the king told him, do not fear. All of this is what he has done for Mephibosheth. Notice, completely broken, completely without. There are two types of people in this room this morning. There are at least two. And there are two types of people. The first one is you may be them if you understand at this moment that that's who you are. You're broken, broken you're in need, you bring nothing to the table, and you desperately need someone to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. You've come here this morning, and even if you're hiding it behind a smile, you have come here this morning and you are in desperate need. But there's a second type, far more common, and that is this person that somehow, while you are still broken, still in need, still hurting, you believe somehow that your outward religious acts can hide the fact before God that you are broken and in need. So There's one thing that David knew this entire time. Mephibosheth brought nothing to the table. He brought nothing to the table... He brought he couldn't, like I said, couldn't even bring himself to the table. You have got to come to the place, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, where you recognize that you don't come to God and God says, Man, glad I got that one. Look at all the awesome stuff she brings to the table. Man, I'm glad that we finally got this one into the fold. Look at all the abilities he has. No, when you come to God, you come like Mephibosheth did before David. You come broken, you lay down in front of him, you bring nothing to the table. And yet the king will stoop down to you and say, do not fear. See, that is the nature of his grace. It's the nature of his amazing love. See, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast. You and I bring nothing to the table. He was a broken man. He had nothing to offer, but he came to David humbled. You and I, hear this, you cannot work your way to God. You cannot work your way into right fellowship with God. If you're here this morning and you think that by showing up somehow God is pleased and he will let you into heaven because you came to church or you own a Bible or you've been baptized or you said the right words or anything like that. If you believe that your works are going to get you to heaven, you are depending on something that will never give you the ability to reach God. It is only when the king reaches down. It is by his grace And his grace alone. So we have this amazing nature of God's powerful grace. But if we're to understand the nature of his grace. If you're a believer this morning. It should drive you to worship. Because we should be overwhelmed. By the outcome of God's powerful grace. Look at verse 7. And David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now that's amazing in and of itself. That is amazing in and of itself. He tells Mephibosheth, I'm not going to do anything to you. In fact, I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to show you grace on behalf of another. Hear that. I'm going to show you grace because of someone else. If you're a believer this morning, you have been shown grace by God the Father because of something someone else did for you. You have been shown grace by the Father because of what Jesus did. And God shows you grace on behalf of His Son, who died on the cross and rose from the grave for you. And so He says, I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan's sake, but then look what he does. If that's not enough. It says, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat At my table always. Now what does David do? David goes well beyond what was required. See, technically speaking, when you look at the covenant that David made with Jonathan, all Jonathan said is, if I'm still alive, don't kill me and please don't kill my children. That's all he says. And that's the promise that David makes. But because of the love he had for Jonathan, he doesn't just show Mephibosheth kindness, but he actually shows him complete unmerited grace to the point that he says not only am I not going to kill you but I'm going to restore you I'm going to give you all the land that belonged to your your grandfather and your father I'm going to give you all of that I'm going to give you all of their servants I'm going to give you everything back and if that was not enough see that would even be completely unwarranted and was completely unwarranted but then David could have said so just go over there and then I don't have to see you anymore I fulfilled my covenant. But what does David say? And you will eat at my table always. Not only does David fulfill his covenant and then go above and beyond, but then he says, Mephibosheth, I'm going to see you every day as much as you want to be seen. You're going to sit at my table. Verse 8, and Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth understood who he was. He brought nothing to the table. And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, verse 9, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Then look at verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate always at the king's table. And then he wants to remind us again. Now, he was lame in both feet. That's an interesting note to throw at the end. I mean, after all this amazing restoration, he says, by the way, he was still crippled. What an amazing story. David doesn't just show kindness to Mephibosheth. He shows unmerited favor to him by giving him over and abundantly what he deserved. And yet then he said, I want to essentially adopt you as my son. You're going to sit around the table with my children, with me, every night at family dinner. We're going to sit around and you're going to be here at the table just like you're one of mine. You are going to be received. See, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, the scripture says that uh, anybody born, it says that we were by nature children of wrath. Which means that we were under the just punishment of a righteous God. We were by nature children of wrath, and yet Ephesians 2 4 and 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated with us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us. Galatians 4, 4-7 So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Hear this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, He not only doesn't condemn us, but he gives us a seat at the table. Mephibosheth brought nothing to the table. Mephibosheth couldn't even get himself to the table. Most likely, Mephibosheth had to be carried to the table. He had no ability to get there, and yet David said, I want you here with me, not because of what you have done, but on behalf of another. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you get a seat at the table. You are one of his children. You get a seat at the table and it is not because of what you have done, but because of what someone else has done. You get a seat at the table not because of what you bring, but because of what Jesus brought. You get to be accepted at the table of the Father, not on behalf of your own good works, but on behalf of his grace because of his Son. You get a seat at the table. See, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, grace, by its very definition, means that you don't deserve it. So if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, but I don't, I don't deserve that kind of love. Let me put your mind at ease. You're absolutely right. Neither do I. That's what makes it grace. is that he still shows it for you, to you and for you. He is calling this morning if you're not a believer in jesus christ then you should hear that if he doesn't rule your life don't think when you come to him that he's standing up in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to blast you the moment you give in he is a loving father who is waiting with his arms open wide to receive you if you will simply say i want you to be the king of my life now You come like Mephibosheth, broken and forgotten, abandoned, alone, bringing nothing to the table, and yet the king will stoop down and receive you as his own child. And you could do that this morning. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, this message, this picture of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, It should bring us to a place of worship to the point that we are simply overwhelmed by what God has done for us. I was thinking about it this morning. I got up early. I was thinking about it. I was sitting there and I prayed because sometimes I think we forget the amazing nature of what Christ has done for us. We forget, simply put, We forget his amazing grace. Even the psalmist said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Some of us just this morning need to be overwhelmed by the truth that I was once dead in my trespasses and sins, and I have now been made alive in Christ Jesus. I who was once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has has taken me from the kingdom of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom I have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's what we need. We need to just be overwhelmed by the truth that Jesus saved a wretch like me. Heavenly Father, God, as we go into a time of decision as we move into a time where those who are here this morning they don't know you lord i pray i pray god that this would be a time where they would say you know what i've been afraid to move forward i've been afraid to give up i've been afraid to give over but today i want to come to the king I want to come to the king. I'm broken. I can't do it for myself and I can't do it on my own and I'm tired of trying. God, I pray this morning you would give them the courage to simply step out, come forward and say, I I, I want to submit to him. I, I want to come to the king and be received by him. Lord, I pray this morning as you convict of sin through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw men and women, boys and girls unto yourself. And God, for those of us who are here who are believers, I pray simply in this moment. I had to pray it for myself this morning. I pray it for each person in this room who is a believer. I pray at this moment that we would simply be overwhelmed. Maybe we've forgotten. Maybe it's been 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years since we came to faith in Jesus Christ and we've forgotten the amazing nature of the fact that we were once in darkness and now we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. God, I pray this morning we would simply be overwhelmed by your grace. Lord, whatever needs to be done, I pray that it'll be done for your glory, and it's in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand